It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Little Woman podcast. My name is Nina. For those of you who are new here, today's comment shout-out goes to Fandoms Our Family 1966, who sent me this question. Quote, Speaking of defending Joe and Fritz, can we talk about how they are basically a reflection of Marmy and Robert? And here is my answer. That is a great point. Mommy tells Joe that Joe's father helped her to overcome her anger. I think there is more to that too. Friedrich helps Joe to feel less agitated. I believe this was the same with Marmy and Robert. This is why Marmy does not want Joe to marry Laurie. Marmy says that Joe and Laurie are good friends, but if they would marry, their arguments would escalate into violence. Quoting Marmy, Marriage requires endless amounts of love and patience. Did you notice that this entire speech of Marmy telling Joe how Joe's father helped her and that Joe should not marry Laurie was not in Greta Gerwig's film? How disrespectful is that? And it kind of gives you the sense that Gerwig wanted Joe and Laurie to end up together, which is also something that she has said in interviews. If we go with the theory that Louisa May Alcott actually had bipolar disorder, this would be even more crucial. She would have wanted a partner who had a way to calm her down, simply by being there. In this episode, I and my guest Kimberly are going to dissect Little Woman Chapter 21, called Laurie Makes Mitchief and Joe Makes Peace. This is a chapter that has made a portion of Laurie fans very uncomfortable. I remember reading it as a teen and I wanted to go through the book and slap him. What Laurie does, he's 15 and he pretends to be his tutor, John Brooke, and he forges love letters in John's name and sends them to Meg. And Meg believes that the letters are from John and she answers to them. Laurie is basically catfishing her and then comes the part that has made people confused. A lot of times people think that Jo is a feminist when she's a teenager. I don't know why they think that but when Jo finds out about this she doesn't feel any sympathy for Meg. It's all my poor Laurie, my little Laurie and it shows how she doesn't see this kind of behavior as a problem. Joe grows out of this behavior in the sequels, and that is something that Kimberly and I will be talking about as well. Uh, Kimberly and I met on a Louisa May Alcott Facebook group a couple years ago. I am not on any Facebook groups anymore, but we have continued our conversations, and Kimberly actually has a quite big role in the development of this podcast because she introduced me to Emily and Emily's book channel, and now Emily is one of my frequent guests here. 
it was great to have Kimberly here and she is of course very knowledgeable about Little Woman and loves it as much as I do and she knows a lot about Louisa May Alcott's life and her family as well. If you wish to get notified every time when a new episode of Little Woman podcast appears, head out to littlewomanchannel.substack.com and join the newsletter. And you can get Little Woman t-shirts, stickers and posters at society6.com slash littlewomanpodcast. This is Little Woman Podcast analyzing the chapter Lori Makes Mitchief and Joe Makes Peace. going to talk about the chapter chapter 21 I think I have my copy right here yeah chapter 21 Laurie makes mischief and Joe makes peace yes it's actually a pretty loaded chapter in my opinion I've been skimming through this book and then I get distracted because I get sucked into the story mm. <laughs> I was thinking how this book is like relationship. It's probably my oldest friend. And it's such a wonderful connection to a couple of my grandparents and childhood friends that, you know, I've later lost touch with, but still has a sentimental place in my heart anyway. And just like any relationship that's changed over the years, It's just become a little more mature, a little more thoughtful, and um, there's just something in it for me personally. Every time I read it, something deeper. That's really beautiful. It is. It is a beautiful story. It really is, and I'm so happy that it exists because it's just uh, in this last year when I've been sick. Um, it was there again, and I thought, huh, you know, I should thumb through this again, and of course, got sucked in, and read the whole thing, and I find that, uh, it's hilarious, it's so witty, I love her writing style so much, it's lively, um, it's, it's just a fun, quick read, but, um, it has everything in it, you know? It's grief and the hardship and challenge. And it's just, it's kind of like uh, Tom Hanks. You know how Tom Hanks is famous for being the everyman in his movies so everyone can relate. And I feel like the merches are a lot like that. And probably one of the reasons why the story has endured but I'm sure there's plenty of psychological reasons that I don't mm. know about it has, but I think that that's why it works for me, because, like I said, every time I crack it open, it's like, oh, oh my gosh. And I can see why my grandparents liked it, why my grandmothers liked it, and it's just wonderful, wonderful how it makes connections. That's why I'm here with you now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I know what you mean, because I think... In different parts of my life, when I have read it, it 
has had some meaning during that time and then it changes in during different life situations. I think that happens with uh, every book that I read, especially yeah. if they are familiar from my childhood. That's why children's books are so important. One of my daughters, my oldest daughter, said that you know, she took she took a psych class at her college, and they were discussing the importance of literature and music in creating empathy and how how much how important it is to read and to listen to music for those for that reason and that's a big thing i really feel like that's true for me i feel like yeah it gives you opportunities to to find to experience what it's like to walk in another person's shoes so that's what empathy is having imagination enough be able to do that yes you can relate to the other person their life and their struggles or their good moments and maybe that's why i've been thinking about Lori and joe's relationship of course and the amy problem that crops up for a lot of people and i think as a younger person without having a fully developed sense of of what it's like to be another person, the first thing you do is you connect with the person that speaks to your personality most. And then as I've grown and have been able to understand people who aren't as much like me, you know, I relate to the other characters Mm -hmm. more. I'm more curious about them and wonder more even about the more secondary characters like Hannah and the Hummels and the Kings and the Moffats. Mr. Lawrence is such an important part of the story, yet I never really thought about him that much till this last time. I'm sure we will get into Mr. Lawrence when we are discovering this chapter because he appears in the end. But I think that's a good point because I can really tell who is the sister that I identify with most. It's like a lot of people do. I am like Amy. I am like Joe. But for me, it just keep changing or identify with some part of each of them. Yes, absolutely. I can read this first paragraph. So this takes place during the time when Joe and Laurie are 15 and... I believe Meg is 17. Little Woman Chapter 21. Laurie makes mischief and Joe makes peace. Joe's face was study next day, for the secret rather weighed upon her, and she found it hard not to look mysterious and important. Meg <laughs> observed it, but did not trouble herself to make inquiries, for she had learned that the best way to manage Joe was by the law of contraries. So she felt sure of being told everything if she did not ask. She was rather surprised, therefore, when the silence remained unbroken and Joe assumed a patronizing air which decidedly aggravated Meg, who in her turn assumed an air of dignified reserve and devoted herself to her mother. This left Joe to her own devices, for Mrs. March 
had taken her place as nurse and bid her rest, exercise and amuse herself after her long confinement. Amy being gone, Laurie was her only refuge, and much as she enjoyed his society, she rather dreaded him just then, for he was an incorrigible tease, and she feared he would coax her secret from her. This takes place when Beth has become ill, and Amy has been sent to Aunt March. She was quite right, for the mischief-loving lad no sooner suspected a mystery than he set himself to find it out and led Joe a trying life of it. He wheedled, bribed, ridiculed, threatened, and scolded, affected indifference that he might surprise the truth from her, declared he knew then that he didn't care, and at last, by dint of perseverance, he satisfied himself that it concerned Meg and Mr. Brooke. Feeling indignant that he was not taken into his tutor's confidence, he set his wits to work to devise some proper retaliation for the slight. So Larry knows that Mr. Brooke has feelings for Meg, and he keeps this as a secret for, from Joe, but he kind of wants Joe to find out. Yes, I think that he tells her a little earlier that Mr. Brooke has Meg's other glove, right? Yeah. And, oh, I think that that was the, the chapter secrets after she had given her manuscript to the Spread Eagle newspaper. Oh, yes. He found her out, and then they made an exchange of secrets. Once she confessed what she had done, he told her the secret that... Um, he knew where Meg's other glove was, and of course, it upset poor Joe. Can't handle any change. I find it interesting that he feels indignant <laughs> and slighted. <laughs> he can't keep a secret. <laughs> Not from him. Meg, meanwhile, had apparently forgotten the matter and was absorbed in preparations for her father's return. But all of a sudden, a change seemed to come over her, and for a day or two, she was quite unlike herself. She started when spoken to, blushed when looked at, was very quiet, and sat over her sewing with a timid, troubled look on her face. To her mother's inquiry, she answered that she was quite well, and chose she silenced by begging to be let alone. She feels it in the air. Love, I mean. And she's going very fast. She's got most of the symptoms. Is twittery and cross. Don't eat. Lies awake and mopes in corners. I got her singing that song about the silver-voiced brook. And once she said, John, as you do, and then turned as red as a poppy. Whatever shall we do? Said Joe, looking ready for any measures, however violent. <laughs> Trying to grab all the groceries in one trip? Oof, not how you would have done that. You know sometimes less is more. Like when you drive less and save with the USAA annual mileage discount. USAA, get a quote today. We made USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply. Let her alone. Be kind and patient and follow.
Sarah's coming will settle everything, replied her mother. Here's a note to you, Meg, all sealed up. How odd. Teddy never seals mine, said Joe next day as she distributed the contents of the little post office. Mrs. March and Joe were deep in their own affairs when a sound from Meg made them look up to see her staring at her note with a frightened face. My child, what is it? cried her mother, running to her, while Joe tried to take the paper which had done the mischief. It's all a mistake. He didn't send it. Oh, Joe, how could you do it? And Meg hid her face in her hands, crying as if her heart was quite broken. Me? I've done nothing. What's the talking about? cried Joe, bewildered. Meg's smiled eyes kindled with anger as she put a crumbled note from her pocket and threw it at Joe, saying reproachfully, He wrote it, and that bad boy helped you. How could you be so rude, so mean, and cruel to us both? Joe hardly heard her, for she and her mother were reading the note which was written in a peculiar hand. My dearest Margaret, I can no longer restrain my passion and must know my fate before I return. I dare not tell your parents yet, but I think they would consent if they knew that we adored one another. Mr. Lawrence will help me to some good place, and then, my sweet girl, you will make me happy. I implore you to say nothing to your family yet, but to send one word of hope through Lori to your devoted John. Oh, the little villain! That's the way he meant to pay me for keeping my word to mother. I'll give him a hearty scolding and beg him over to beg and bring him over to beg pardon, cried Joe, burning to execute immediate justice. But her mother held her back, saying with a look she seldom wore, Stop, Joe. You must clear yourself first. You have played so many pranks that I am afraid you have had a hand in this. On my word, mother, I haven't. I never saw that note before, and don't know anything about it as true as I live, said Joe so earnestly that they believed her. If I had taken a part in it, I'd have done it better than this, and have written a sensible note. I should think you'd have known Mr. Brooke wouldn't write such stuff as that, she added, scornfully tossing down the paper. It's like his writing, faltered Meg, comparing it with the note in her hand. Oh, Meg, you didn't answer it, cried Mrs. March quickly. Yes, I did, and Meg hid her face again, overcome with shame. Here's a scrape. Do let me bring that wicked boy over to explain and be lectured. I can't rest till I get hold of him, and Joe made a rush for the door again. What always makes me angry in this chapter is that Meg actually replied to this letter. Yeah, she wouldn't have had any reason to suspect being the person that she is and never having experienced this kind of subterfuge before to have second-guessed the note. Yes. So, so yeah, she just fell right into it. It's typical catfishing. It's really mean. <laughs> yes. I once read an analysis on this chapter, and I can't remember the name of the Alcott schooler, but they basically said that if this would happen to any person who is 17-year-old today, they would feel as humiliated as Meg does. Yeah. It's a perfectly um, understandable 
reaction that Lori just doesn't, I mean, he does not think it through. All he's thinking about is how he feels slighted, he felt excluded, and it's about him getting, basically getting revenge. Teaching a lesson, like, oh, if you're going to leave me out, I'm going to figure it out anyway, and it's like nothing else matters. Yeah, it's really intrusion to Meg's privacy, and he doesn't get it. Hush, let me manage this, for it is worse than I thought. Margaret, tell me the whole story, commanded Miss March, sitting down by Meg, yet keeping hold of Joe, that she should op- she should fly off. I received the first letter from Laurie, who didn't look as if he knew anything about it, began Meg without looking up. I was worried at first and meant to tell you. Then I remembered how you liked Mr. Brooke, so I thought you wouldn't mind if I kept my little secret for a few days. I'm so silly that I like to think no one knew, and while I was deciding what to say, I felt like the girls in books who have such things to do. Forgive me, mother. I am paid for my silliness now. I never can look him in the face again. What did you say to him? asked Miss March. I only said I was too young to do anything about it yet, that I didn't wish to have secrets from you, and he must speak to father. I was very grateful for his kindness, and would be his friend, but nothing more, for a long while. Miss Smart smiled, as if well pleased, and Joe clapped her hands, exclaiming with a laugh, You are almost equal to Caroline Percy, who was a pattern of prudence. Tell on, Meg, what did he say to that? I actually went to Google Caroline Percy, and uh, she's a character from a 19th century book called Patronage. By Maria Edgeworth. Yes. Have you read it? Uh, What's that? Have you read it? No, it's like four volumes. I find the idea very daunting. (laughs) (laughs) But I was surprised and pretty delighted to learn that there's a uh, a segment in that story where she receives uh, two letters written by the same hand that causes some issues and so I thought well that's hilarious I mean of course only anybody who was familiar with the story would know and a modern audience would have to do the deep dive but um, it just broadened my appreciation for her even more that Louisa includes the pop culture in her story and that detail is kind of a big deal I didn't know that but there's a nice intertextuality there that she takes parts of this literature that she was reading and was popular at the time yeah and one of the things too that I'm appreciating more this time around is how Pilgrim's Progress uh, Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress fits into this whole thing how it influenced the structure of the first half of the book and I, I, I knew it but I didn't really observe it or study it as much as I have this last during this last reading it's pretty genius that is really interesting he writes in a different way entirely 
telling me that he never sent any love letter at all, and is very sorry that my rocky sister, Jo, should take such liberties with our names. It's very kind and respectful, but think how dreadful for me. So, yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> so mean. It's so mean, and I hate to laugh, you know. This doesn't sound like Laurie is in love with Joe. This sounds more like Laurie is teasing Joe as well. Yeah, and that's what it's all about. It's like, hey, you, you're not telling me what I think I should know, so I'm going to basically torture you. I'm going to torture it out of you mm. any way I can, and it doesn't matter how. As a matter of fact, it's funny to me. He thinks it's funny. Yeah. He just calls it a joke or a prank. <laughs> it's like, no, it's me. Meg leaned against her mother, looking at the image, looking the image of despair. And Joe tramped about the room, calling Lori names. All of a sudden, she stopped, caught up the two notes, and after looking at them closely, said decidedly, I don't believe Brooke ever saw either of these letters. Teddy wrote both and keeps yours to crow over me with because I wouldn't tell him my secret. Don't have any secrets, Joe. Tell it to Mother and keep out of trouble as I should have done, said Meg warningly. Bless you, child. Mother told me. That will do, Joe. I'll comfort Meg while you go and get Laurie. I shall sift the matter to the bottom and put a stop to such pranks at once. Away ran Joe, and Mrs. March gently told Meg Mr. Brooks' real feelings. Now, dear, what are your own? Do you love him enough to wait till he can make a home for you? Or will you keep yourself quite free for the present? I've been so scared and worried. I don't want to have anything to do with lovers for a long while. Perhaps never, answered Meg petulantly. If John doesn't know anything about this nonsense, don't tell him, and make Joe and Lori hold their tongues. I won't be deceived and plagued and made a fool of. It's a shame. I really love Meg in this chapter. She knows her self-worth. Seeing that Meg's usually gentle temper was roused, and her pride hurt by this mischievous joke, Mrs. March suited her by promises of entire silence and great discretion for the future. The instant Laurie's step was heard in the hall, Meg fled into the study, and Mrs. March received the culprit alone. Joe had not told him why he was wanted, fearing he wouldn't come. But he knew the minute he saw Mrs. March's face, and stood twirling his hat with a giddy air, which convicted him at once. Joe was dismissed, but chose to march up and down the hall like a sentinel, having some fear that the prisoner might bolt. The sound of voices in the parlor rose and fell for half an hour, but what happened during that interview the girls never knew. When they were called in, Laurie was standing by their mother with such a penitent face that Joe forgave him on the spot, but did not think it wise to betray the fact. Meg received his humble apology and was much comforted by the assurance that Brooke knew nothing of the joke. I don't know about you, but I think that Joe did the right thing to not tell Laurie that she forgave him on the spot. That's <laughs> probably true. For a while. 
I'll never tell him to my dying day. Wild horses shan't drag it out of me. So you'll forgive me, Meg, and I'll do anything to show how out and out sorry I am, he added, looking very much ashamed of himself. I'll try, but it was a very ungentlemanly thing to do. I didn't think you could be so sly and malicious, Lori, replied Meg, trying to hide her maidenly confusion under a gravely reproachful air. It was altogether abominable, and I don't deserve to be spoken to for a month. But you will, though, won't you? And Laurie folded his hands together with such an imploring gesture as he spoke in his irresistibly persuasive tone that it was impossible to frown upon him in spite of his scandalous behavior. Meg pardoned him, and Mrs. March's grave face relaxed in spite of her efforts to keep sober. When she heard him declare that he would atone for his sins by all sorts of penances and abase himself like a worm before the injured damsel, Joe stood aloof, meanwhile, trying to harden her heart against him and succeeding only in priming up her face into an expression of entire disapprobation. Lori looked at her once or twice, but as she showed no sign of relenting, he felt injured and turned his back on her till the others were done with him he made her a low bow and walked off without a word. There he is. He's injured again. Like now it's about him. When I was reading this again for this chat, this chapter kind of reminded me of Laura's proposal to Joe. Because there we have... You just can't take no for an answer. Exactly. (laughs) Like uh, he's injured and Joe feels bad for him. And it's like this whole chapter is like once again, Joe having these maternal feelings for him, like she's his little mother. And that's why Joe can't really see faults in Laura's behavior, even when he's hurting her sister. As soon as he had gone, she wished she had been more forgiving. And when Meg and her mother went upstairs, she felt lonely and longed for Teddy. After resisting for some time, she yelled the impulse and armed with a book to return, went over to the big house. Is Mr. Lawrence in? asked Joe of a housemaid who was coming down, downstairs. Yes, miss, but I don't believe he's seeable just yet. Why not? Is he ill? La, no, miss. He's had a scene with Mr. Lorry, who is in... With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In one of his tantrums about something, which vexes the old gentleman, so it doesn't go nigh him. Where is Laurie? Shut up. In his room. 
and he won't answer though I've been a tapping. I don't know what to become of the dinner for it's ready and there's no one to eat it. I'll go and see what the matter is. I'm not afraid of either of them. Up went Joe and knocked smartly on the door of Laurie's little study. Stop that or I'll open the door and make you, called out the young gentleman in a threatening tone. Joe immediately knocked again. The door flew open and in she bounced before Laurie could recover from his surprise. Joe, who knew how to manage him, assumed a contrite expression and going artistically down upon her knees said meekly, Please forgive me for being so cross. I came to make it up and can't go away till I have. It's all right. Get up. Don't be a goose, Joe, was the cavalier reply to her petition. Thank you. I will. Could I ask what's the matter? You don't look exactly easy in your mind. I've been shaken, and I won't bear it, growled Lori indignantly. Who did it? demanded Joe, grandfather. If it had been anyone else, I'd have... And the injured youth finished his sentence by an energetic gesture of the right arm. That's nothing. I often shake you when you don't mind, said Joe soothingly. Pooh, you're a girl and it's fun, but I'll allow no man to shake me. Why were you treated so? Just because I wouldn't say what your mother wanted me for. I promised not to tell, and of course I wasn't going to break my word. Couldn't you satisfy your grandpa in another way? No, you would have the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I'd have told my part of the scrape, if I could, without bringing Meg in. As I couldn't, I held my tongue and bore the scolding till the old gentleman collared me. Then I got angry and bolted for fear I should forget myself. It wasn't nice, but he's sorry, I know, so go down and make up. I'll help you. Hanged if I do. I'm not going to be lectured and pummeled by everyone just for a bit of a frolic. I was sorry about Meg and begged pardon like man. But I won't do it again when I wasn't in the wrong. He didn't know that. He ought to trust me and not act as if I was a baby. It's no use, Joe. He's got to learn that I'm able to take care of myself and don't need anyone's apron string to hold on by. (laughs) (laughs) It's so full of contradictions, isn't it? He says, it was just a bit of a frolic. But then he was, he claims he is sorry about Meg, and he, and he behaves so, uh, you know, all this indignation all the way through this whole chapter, and yet he's a man, he's not a baby, (laughs) but he's having a tantrum. (laughs) But it's like, I wasn't in the wrong. How is that possible? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, his grandfather doesn't doesn't know anything about the details of the situation, but he knows Lori well enough to know that he was in the wrong about something. Yes. This is not in any Little Woman movies, this chapter. But no, it is a, kind of a feel. Yeah, but, well, they want to romanticize Joe and Lori, which is pretty weird in my opinion but like this is in the BBC Little Woman series in ni- from 1970 and it's really disturbing because it really 
tries to portray that it was all Meg's fault, which it wasn't. In the 70s version? Yes. Oh, oh my gosh. I haven't seen that version yet, but that's very 70s of them, isn't it? I agree. <laughs> that is so ironic. I mean, that version, I, it doesn't really do that well with Joe and Friedrich and not always with Joe and Laurie. I think it does really good job with Amy and Laurie, but like this book was written in 1867 and then we have 1970s version which kind of flips this upside down and it's not good. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I'll have to watch that one someday. I'm I've definitely not seen it. Um, how did it? Was it included in the one with um, Maya Hawk? What was that one? I don't the, think so. I don't think it was included. I haven't seen that one, and that that one was an actual miniseries, right? Yes. So there was time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the the Maya Hawk version it really romanticizes Laurie in. Which is not really a surprise, but it's not very good if you want to do justice for the book. No. Or allow people to mature. Yes. It's like they keep these versions, these film versions, keep uh, both Joe and Laurie boxed in at, you know, 15 or 16. And just don't want them to grow up for some reason. Maybe because of that kind of more youthful exuberance that keeps the first half of the book kind of light and 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 more fun than not. It's problematic because if you don't see Loris growth, then you don't understand why he ends up with Amy. And it's such an important thing, in my opinion, that Louisa May Alcott included Loris this full wrote process from a boy into a man. In the end of Little Woman, he actually apologizes to Joe that he was harassing her earlier. Yeah, he comes around. He does learn. He's the fifth sibling. You know. And there was something that I was actually discussing with another person in for this podcast earlier, that the way Joe is written to be in this chapter is very different than Joe in Joe's voice, where she's like in her 50s, 40s. And then there is this scene where Joe lectures this young man because they are harassing some of the female students. But if that Joe would have been like this 15-year-old Joe, then Joe would have probably said that it was actually this girl's fault that these guys were harassing her. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. I feel like Joe and Lori are peers. And they have as much to learn, you know, as each as the other. And they're so similar. This comes up throughout, particularly the first half of the book. It comes up a lot. Like, Marmy mentions it to her, how similar uh, Joe and Lori are, and they talk about how, in some ways, that's why they have so much fun together. But in other ways, it's, it's not always helpful, because they're just going to reinforce 
the worst parts of the other. <laughs> yeah, it's that toxic masculinity. Yes, yes. It's what you've mentioned before, which I think is important to recognize in Joe as much as in Lori. Yes, and then in when the second half of the book begins, Joe slowly starts to grow out of him. Yeah, she grows. She grows before he does, and her refusal of his marriage proposal shows us that. Mm. And the way he responds to it shows how far behind her that he actually is as far as growth goes. And yet, that refusal is pivotal in his character arc, in his growth. It's because of that refusal that he grows as much as he does, I think. I agree, because he, well, he goes to Europe and then he's miserable there. And then I think that lecture that Amy gives to him, it really starts this process of him trying to find something from himself that he hadn't discovered yet. Yes, plus I think that it's good for him to hear no now and then. Yes. <laughs> His grandfather tries to say no to him, but he really can't. I think it's because he lost his own son, and then he has Laurie left. So. But Pepper Potts, you are, side show. How, how do you mean to settle this affair? Well, he ought to beg pardon, and believe me when I say, I can't tell him what what the rose about. Bless you, he won't do that. I won't go down till he does. Now, Teddy, be sensible. Let it pass, and I'll explain what I can. You can stay here, so what? what's the use of being melodramatic? I don't intend to stay here long anyway. I'll slip off and take a journey somewhere, and when Grandpa misses me... He'll come round fast enough. I dare say, but you ought not to go and worry him. Don't preach. I'll go to Washington and Seabrook. It's gay there, and I'll enjoy myself after the troubles. What fun you'd have. I wish I could run off too, said Joe, forgetting her part of mentor in lively vision. Visions of martial life at the Capitol. Come on then, why not? You go and surprise your father, and I'll stir up Oddbrook. It would be a glorious joke. Let's do it, Joe. We'll leave a letter saying we are all right, and trot off at once. I've got money enough. It will do you good, and be no harm, as you go to your father. For a moment, Joe looked as if she would agree. For wild as the plan was, it just suited her. She was tired of care and confinement longed for change, and thoughts of her father blended temptingly with the novel charms of camps and hospitals, liberty and fun. Her eyes kindled as they turned wistfully toward the window, but they fell on the old house opposite, and she shook her head with sorrowful decision. If I was a boy, we'd run away together and have a capital time. But, as I'm a miserable girl, I must be proper and stop at home. Don't tempt me, Teddy. It's a crazy plan. That's the fun of it, began Laurie, who had got a willful fit on him and was possessed to break out of bounds in some way. Hold your tongue, cried Joe, covering her ears. 
prunes and prisms are my doom, and I may as well make up my mind to it. I came here to moralize, not to hear about things that make me skip to think of. I know Meg would wet blanket such a proposal, but I thought you had more spirit, began Lori insinuatingly. Bad boy, be quiet. Sit down and think of your own sins. Don't go making me out of mine. If I get your grandpa to apologize for the shaking, will you give up running away? Asked Joe seriously. Yes, but you won't do it, answered Lori, who wished to make up, but felt that his outraged dignity must be appeased first. If I can manage the young one, I can the old one, muttered Joe as she walked away, leaving Lori bent over a railroad map with his head propped up on both hands. This still sounds like she is trying to mother him. Exactly. This part where she says that if I was a boy, we'd run away together and have a capital time, but as I am a miserable girl, I must be proper and stop at home. There's something similar that she says in the chapter when she and Laurie meet and he has the sore throat. Um, I think I wrote it here. Joe says, why don't you invite girls? Girls are quiet and like to play nurses. Like she, she doesn't have a v very favorable view of, of her gender. Even though she does like nursing. Yes, and Louisa May Alcott was a trained nurse, so I think this is interesting. She was, and that's one of the things I find fascinating too about this chapter is that she was in Washington. She did go, you know, she didn't have to imagine it or wish she were there as a young lady, but as a mature woman, she actually was there. You have been reading hospital sketches. Yes, I read it. It's pretty quick. It's not a long read. Well, I, I think I can see how, um, well, I know I can see now after having read it, why it's cited as a piece of writing where she found her voice. It's energetic, it's witty, it deals with serious um, topics, but it's just a quick, lively, enjoyable... Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Full, thought-provoking read. Just like uh, Little Women is. I will add it to my long reading list. <laughs> Wasn't the, the yeah? Wasn't the guy in in hospital sketches like Friedrich, like the German soldier? There's a gentleman who is mortally wounded that they make a reference to, and I think his name is Dan. And he comes up periodically in. Uh, among scholars and there is oppression um, he is helpful very very helpful to her 
when she runs into a problem with a delirious patient. And, um, and he comes up a couple of times, but he doesn't factor in as powerfully as the mortally wounded soldier who passes. Yes. So, um, yeah, I kind of wonder. I don't... There's a lot of things that when you read it, you will be able to see, oh, here's a name, or here's um, a phrase, or, you know, they will you will recognize them because they show up later in Little Women, mm. and you can see the influence of even her own writing on Little Women, beginning with hospital sketches. I believe the the soldier she was nursing it was actually based on a real soldier who Louisa May Alcott took care of yes yeah one of those Friedrich Bear prototypes I believe if I can manage the young one I can the old one muttered Cho as she walked away leaving Laurie bent over on a, a rail, railroad map with his head propped up on both hands Come in, and Mr. Lawrence's gruff voice sounded gruffer than ever as Joe tapped at his door. It's only me, sir. Come to return a book, she said blandly as she entered. Want any more? asked the old gentleman, looking grim and vexed, but trying not to show it. Yes, please. I like the old Sam so well. I think I'll try the second volume, returned Joe, hoping to propitiate him by accepting a second dose of Boswell's Johnson, as he had recommended that lively work. The shaggy eyebrows unbent a little, as he rolled the steps to- toward the shelf where the Johnsonian literature was placed. Joe skipped up and sitting on the top step, affected to be searching for her book, but was really wondering how best to introduce the dangerous objects of her visit. Mr. Lawrence seemed to suspect that something was brewing in her mind, for after taking several brisk turns about the room, he faced round on her, speaking so abruptly that Rasselas tumbled face downward on the floor. What has that boy been about? Don't try to shield him now. I know he has been in mischief. By the way, he acted when he came home. I can't get a word from him. And when I threatened to shake the truth out of him, he bought it upstairs and locked himself into his room. He did do wrong, but we forgave him. And all promised not to say a word to anyone, began Joe reluctantly. That won't do. He shall not shelter himself behind a promise from you soft-hearted girls. If he's done anything amiss, he shall confess, beg a pardon, and be punished. Out with it, Joe. I won't be kept in the dark. Mr. Lawrence looked so alarming and spoke so sharply that Joe would have gladly run away if she could, but she was perched aloft on the steps, and he stood at the foot, a lion in the path, so she had to stay and brave it out. Indeed, sir, I cannot tell. Mother forbade it. Lori has confessed, asked pardon, and been punished quite enough. We don't keep silence to shield him, but someone else. And it will make more trouble if you interfere. Please don't. It was partly my fault. But it's all right now, so let's forget it and talk about the Rambler or something pleasant. Hang the Rambler, 
Come down and give me your word that this harem-scarum boy of mine hasn't done anything ungrateful or impertinent. If he has, after all your kindness to him, I'll thrash him with my own hands. The threat sounded awful, but did not alarm Joe, for she knew the irascible old gentleman would never lift a finger against his grandson, whatever he might say to the contrary. She obediently descended and made as light of the prank as she could without betraying Meg or forgetting the truth. See, there you go, right? He's, his threats are, are, <laughs> they don't mean anything. I'm surprised he shook, he shook him. <laughs> yeah, they go to deaf ears. <laughs> yes. He gets, he, he understands Lori very well, but he's, well, he's a grandfather. He's not his, his a parent. And there's a lot of history between that, that that was there that had nothing to do with Lori, but it's connected to Lori, you know? And, you know, whatever else he may be going through, whatever his emotions may be, we only really learn of them through Marmy. And it, and it only comes up maybe once or twice, kind of in passing. So, I mean, there's a piece of fan fiction for you. Mr. Lawrence. <laughs> I think he's kind of trying to build a relationship with him, but he he's not very successful, at least in the beginning. Laurie doesn't really know his grandfather when he moves to Concord. Like, they have been living together only for a while now. And we don't know if he went to see him when he was living in Europe. And somebody commented once that if this prank that Laurie made would have gone out and then people would talk that John was actually courting Meg, it might have um, had a very negative impact on John. He might have been fired and Meg might have lost her reputation because she was 17. I had never thought of that. Yeah, it's interesting to think about because people kind of expect Meg to marry a rich man. Joe even harbors an idea in her mind that at one time that Laurie and Meg would hook up. But she does that again with Beth. Yes. She's always hooking everybody up with, with Laurie except for herself. That's because she wants Laurie to be her brother. Yes, yes. <laughs> it was interesting because somebody asked me about this, like, isn't that, like, contradicting to Joe, Joe's character? Why would Louisa May Alka do that? But then I was thinking, well, if she really had this incredible maternal feelings for all the boys in the world, I don't think she necessarily saw anything wrong with that. Joe trying, wanting to marry Laurie to any one of her sisters, except herself. Exactly. It would just automatically make him the brother she already wants him to be. Solves the problem. And maybe it's because we are seeing these movie versions where Joe and Laurie are so romanticized. And maybe it's also because of our culture, really, that we, like a when I first read the book, or the first times, and I thought it was a bit weird that Joe wanted Mary Laurie to Meg, and 
now I wonder maybe it was really something that Louisa May Alcott didn't see any there wasn't any problem problems for her if she really felt that for boys and I think she did I once read from one of her biographies that when she had this fling with Larry Wisniewski they really did pranks together like they loved pranking people and and that's just Joe and Laurie type of thing to do. I can't see anything romantic there, but it's one of those things that people just like to ignore. Yes, I've never uh, found in any uh, romantic literature a hero and heroine linked together through pranking. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't exist. Maybe it's just Joe and Laurie. Yeah. <laughs> discussing it a little bit more uh, that the difference in tone or mood between the first half and the second half of the book um, the second half is is such a stark contrast as far as uh, lightness and, and energy, energy and there's still wit and her writing style is still lively, but it's it's harder, it's sadder, it's darker. You know, they're older, and so um, people definitely gravitate more toward the first half of the book and that relationship. They just can't let it go. Yes, and it's interesting because one of my friends said this that. You know, she read the book after seeing the 2019 film, and then she was surprised because in this first part, there's nothing romantic between Joe and Laurie. And she was expecting things to be romantic because Greta Gerwig said so. But we know that Greta Gerwig lied to people. So none of that exists here. I, I think a lot of the movies, they kind of set, us, set people to disappointment when they want to romanticize Joe and Laurie because there really isn't anything romantic between them. No, and I'd really like Greta to kind of point out any passage that suggests that. I don't think that she'll be able to do it. No. She also said that Joe hated Germans or Louisa Mayalcott hated Germans. Yeah, another lie. None of that ever happens. Well, that's just propaganda <laughs> I agree and it's just these contradicting contradictory things that she said that never happens in the book so I'm not surprised that people have such weird views about little woman because I don't think most people who write adaptations have actually read it nor do nor did people of that time wear Uggs in the snow I actually read from letters that Louisa Mel wrote with Maggie Lukens, the Lukens sisters. You know that one? No. Well, they were like fans of her books. So they, the sisters, they had this letter exchange with Louisa May Alcott. And I read some of them and they were really interesting because the girls were like, we were heartbroken that Joe rejected Laurie and we were sad to see her grow and stuff like that. And then Louisa May Alcott answered. 
Why is it that people think that Joe remains as a child when in the end of the book she's 30? And I thought that was interesting because people are so obsessed with Joe staying this teenager who, in my opinion, is not really a smart or admirable person, especially in this chapter. Little Woman Part 2 is really underappreciated because of that. People are so hanged on into things that I don't think are very admirable in the end. And that's the whole point of the first half, isn't it? Even the second half is that they're full of faults. Those are their burdens. The burdens they carry um, in their own pilgrims, pilgrimage to adulthood is that they have these faults. And I think if Lori had been a part of that whole pilgrimage, if he was as aware of it, then maybe he could his burdens could have included, well, I'm spoiled, and it's easy for me to feel uh, slighted, I take offense easily, uh, among other things that I'm sure you could add a number of things that would be put into his knapsack as his burdens. But we don't have that experience of it being spelled out for us the way that we do for Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy. And so we kind of have to do the work and put that together with all the clues that she leaves us because we have to be a little more astute in our reading to understand Lori's own arc. But it's all here. Thank you so much for listening. Kimberly and I continue our chat in the next episode. Take care and make good choices. Bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.